0: From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina ahmed Haq
1: Welcome to the latest episode of For What It's Worth. I'm Rabina Ahmed-Hawk, your host, and I hope you will join us for the next hour as we break down some really important stories that are going to be good for your pocketbook. Today, we're talking about tax time. It is an overwhelming time for the best of us, even myself, who lives and breeds personal finance. I hate this time of year, getting all those receipts together, getting all that paperwork together, filing it all, making sure the numbers are correct, stressing about receipts I can't find because I made that expense back in January or February. All of that stresses me out. I have figured out a system that works for me, I'll tell you quickly. I put everything into one big box, one big box near my desk. So I know every receipt, every document, everything I need for tax time is in that box. Now, there's also stuff in there that doesn't belong, but that's okay. I've just got it all in there. And every once in a while, I go and sort through the receipts. And once I have checked the receipts and inputted them into my Excel spreadsheet, I put them into the permanent box, which is a shoebox with the word 2022 on it. Now that is just my system. I'm not saying it works for everybody. I am a very sort of physical person. I need to see and touch things in order to really feel like they've happened. People may have automated systems that are much more efficient than mine, but that's the way that I've done it for the last 10 or 11 years. And it's better than me trying to keep notes in one place and losing that book or keeping receipts in one place and not remembering where I put that pile. It's this one big box. And often if I have receipts lying around, I'll ask my kids, go dump it in my receipt box. They know exactly where it is. So to me, that gives me confidence in knowing at least nothing gets lost. But we will be speaking to a tax expert later in the show who will give you a lot more sophisticated advice than I just gave you on things that you can do uh, to save money when it comes to tax time, save stress when it comes to tax time. Um, That means taking advantage of every single credit that is owed to you. He's going to talk to you about credits that you can get without ever doing anything. It's just by filing your return, you'll be eligible for many credits that the, the federal government offers you. So all these tips we will get from him when we talk to our HR Block tax expert later in the show. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk about a big story this week out of the United States that does have implications here in Canada. I'm sure by now you have heard of Silicon Valley Bank. This is the bank that had a run on the banks, so an old school run on the banks at the beginning of last week, so about 10 days ago. Basically what happened was there was fear that Silicon Valley Bank would not be able to meet all of their withdrawal requests. So when you go into a bank, you have some, confidence that when you make a withdrawal that the money is going to come out of the ATM or when you go to the 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 kiosk and you sign you know the paperwork that you need to that they're they're going to be able to give you the money that is in your account there was fear that Silicon Valley Bank would not be able to fulfill those withdrawal requests and so what happened Anyone who banked with them and their clients are, they have deep pockets. Their tech companies in Silicon Valley with hundreds of millions of dollars at this bank tried to withdraw all their money basically all at once. That's a classic. Bank run, classic example of someone running, yelling fire in a theater and everyone trying to get out at once. And that is exactly what happened. Now, there are other factors that led to this. Um, there are legitimate reasons why people should be worried about Silicon Valley Bank and and, and were worried about Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, for the last year, the tech sector has been suffering because of higher interest rates. so it's becoming more and more expensive for them to fund their projects. It's less likely that they will get funding because people are not lending at the same rate as they were at uh, you know two years ago or at the beginning of the pandemic. A lot of excitement at the beginning of the pandemic about the tech industry has sort of fallen flat. Many people have gone back to their old habits and this idea that we would be doing everything online forever, Really isn't true. Uh, Amazon sales have fallen since the beginning of the pandemic. Big tech companies here in Canada, like Shopify, have seen their stock value fall. Uh, Tesla has seen their stock value fall. Bitcoin has come down in value. So a lot of these tech-centric stocks and uh, and and commodities have fallen because we don't we don't believe that we have come this far yet. And so that, of course, took a lot of money out of the tech sector and. The Silicon Valley Bank specifically deals with the tech sector in Silicon Valley. And when they don't have money, they don't have venture capitalists investing in them and they don't have access to cash, they've got to go to their funds at the bank to pay, make things like payroll, pay their expenses, keep the lights on, right? And if they have a fear that Silicon Valley Bank will not be able to uh, honor that withdrawal request, uh, then there is... Uh, this fear that spreads and all anybody who is a client of theirs will go to the bank and try to get their money out. Because as we know, or as we should know, uh, banks, when you deposit money into the into your account, 90% of that gets lent out in in the form of mortgages and bonds and other products. And that's how they make money. And that's why they pay you interest when you deposit your money into a checking or a savings account. So that is one big story. And it's a cautionary tale. Couldn't Not really likely to happen here in Canada as we don't have those type of regional specific banks. We're much better capitalized in this country as well. Uh, But really still uh, an interesting story. And you know what that could mean? It could mean a rate cut by the Bank of Canada in April, because Canada is now concerned about the reverberations of what that could do to our tech sector here. So to keep things going they may actually cut rates, according to forecasters, in April. We are going to be talking about taxes when we come back. I'm Rabina Ahmed-Huck, and this is For What It's Worth.
0: You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed-Huck.
1: tax time in Canada, and that means many of us are stressing about how we are going to get our tax return in on time. The deadline this year is May 1st, and there are a lot of new credits and benefits that Canadians can take advantage of. Now, we don't have much opportunity to actually spend the money to take advantage of the credits, but if you already have, You should know that there is some money available if you made your home more accessible, if you spent money on fertility treatments. There are a lot of credits that are available for individuals. If you go on the CRA website, there's a great tool that you can use in order to figure out what credits and benefits may actually apply to you. h Block did a survey of Canadians when it comes to tax time and also just general anxieties that many Canadians are feeling uh, right now. And they found that 85% of us expect to reduce our spending in 2023 because cost of living has gone up so much. 78% of us, so the majority of us, are putting off making large purchases this year. And many of us, despite having great salaries, seven in 10 of us are worried about just making ends meet. And so all of that really does add into the stress of tax time when many of us may be concerned about whether we're going to get enough, the refund that we expected. If we owe money, is it going to be more than I can actually afford? Where is that money going to come from? But one way that you can save yourself some stress now is by working with a tax professional and also listening to the show where we have tax professionals on that can help you through this time and maybe get you a little bit more money than you expected. We're joined now by Yannick LeMay. He is a tax expert at H&R Block. Hi, Yannick.
0: Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for having me.
1: Yannick, H&R Block did a survey of how Canadians are feeling when it comes to their finances as we head into tax time. And it showed that 7 in 10 Canadians are worried about just making ends meet. And these are individuals who have decent salaries, who aren't worried about losing their job. Can you tell us more about what the h Block survey revealed?
0: Well, it did reveal indeed that there's a lot of people that are worried uh, about making um, months end. But not only that, it reveals also that there's a lot of Canadians that are not aware of all the credits, all the deductions that are available to them. And more than that, um, there is, um, so last August, CRA published a statement saying there was eight, Point nine million of checks that were uncashed by Canadians. So these are checks that Syria has already agreed to pay out to Canadians, but for different reasons, Canadians have not received um, that money. So there's a lot of programs out there that do exist. And that's what the survey reveals is that some Canadians, a lot of them are not aware of all the programs, all the credits that do exist that aren't there out there to help them.
1: So how can Canadians find out about uh, these programs or if they have a check that remains on cash? Because I think that would be something they they would welcome, some money that they didn't even know they had.
0: Absolutely. So this is a new function that CRA added this year on what they call CRA My Portal. So this is an online account that you have with the CRA. So when you log in on your account, there's a link on the on the main page where you can click and then you'll see if there's any uncashed um, checks in your account and then you'll be able to ask online for CRA to issue a new payment.
1: Now, uh, there are a lot of new benefits and credits this year that many Canadians may not even know about. Can you tell us about some that are fresh for this year that we can take advantage of for the 2022 tax year?
0: Absolutely. And what we've seen in the last couple of years, especially with COVID, is that there are new benefits and new credits that are paid to Canadians outside of the tax return. So the, this is additional steps, extra steps that we need to um, to take in order to receive those benefits. And I'm thinking, for example, more recently, um, the, um, the federal government uh, has put in place what we call the um, the housing benefit. So this is a one-time f- payment of $500 that you can get if you're a low-income renter. You have filed a 2021 tax return in Canada. Um, and then to get access to this $500, you need to apply on CRA's website or on the phone by calling CRA. So this is something that you need to do outside of your tax return. And talking about this benefit, the application for this benefit closes on March 31st. So this is just around the corner. So now is the time to do it. And then there's also the Canada dental benefit that was put in place recently for dental expenses paid for children under the age of 12. Um, This is for expenses starting on October 1st, 2022. And again, this is a benefit that to, to apply for it, you need to go on CRA's website or on the phone by calling the government. So it's not something that you do on your tax return.
1: Now, this uh, may not apply to everyone, but most people are interested in knowing how much money can we possibly get back? Is there one credit that is especially uh, juicy that not every Canadian, but Canadians can apply for that uh, does net quite a bit of money that you could tell us about?
0: Um, So when it comes to taxes, and it's true for everything regarding taxes, there's no one-size-fits-all approach, right? So there's credits that your neighbor may get and then you might not be eligible for because only a small reason or a small factor that makes a difference. Um, So that's why it's hard to compare yourself to your family members, to other members of your community, of your work, or your colleagues, for example. Um, But... Simply by filing your tax return, even if you don't ask for the credit, you can get access. The government will pay you those credits if you're eligible. And I'm thinking of the GST credit. Uh, That could be uh, a few hundreds or even more than $1,000, depending on your situation. There's also the climate action incentive for residents of uh, certain provinces in Canada. So those are benefits that the government will pay simply because you have filed your tax return if you're eligible. So there's definitely... um, there's no reason why you, you shouldn't file your taxes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the Canada Child Benefit is one as well, where especially if you're in low income and you have uh, more than one child under the age of six, that can net you quite a bit of money that just you just get simply by by filing your return. Uh, that's the only job that you have to do. You don't have to look for any kind of special line that you have to fill in that they, they do all that work for you. Um right. w- at this time of year, um, most people are looking forward to a refund in uh, when they file their return. But in some cases, you may owe the CRA some money for, for whatever reason. Um, what if you don't have the cash to pay the CRA back? Say they're asking you for $1,000 mm-hmm. uh, by, you know, by the deadline, which is uh, May first, I believe this year. What if you just don't have that cash? Uh, what, what can you do?
0: Yeah. So a lot of people do get a refund. So far this tax season at HR Block, we've seen that seventy-five so percent, roughly seventy-five percent of our clients are getting a refund, and in average, that refund is ten percent higher than it was the previous year. And that could be for many reasons, especially that this year um, there's no COVID benefits. Most Canadians did not receive any COVID benefits on their um, that it, they would include on their tax return and pay taxes on those benefits. That could be one of the reason. But then if you still have t- If you still owe taxes to CRA, there are many possibilities um, for you, and the main advice, the main um, thing that you need to keep in mind is that even though you know that you will owe taxes to CRA and you don't want to file your taxes yet because you, you know you will owe taxes, it is very, very important that you do file your taxes as soon as possible to avoid any penalties, any interest. And the, the due date of your payment is the same. It will be, as you mentioned, May 1st, even though you file your taxes today or if you file your taxes on April 30th, the due date of your payment is still May 1st. And then once you you receive the notice of assessment from CRA, the notice of assessment is the letter that you receive from CRA saying that they have processed your return and now they have established the amount that you owe. When you have this in hand, you can call CRA and make an arrangement for the payments. You can also go on your CRA My Portal online account. And uh, on, on there, on your portal, you can plan for different payments to be taken in your bank account in the coming weeks, coming months.
1: And it's pretty expensive to ignore that. Tell me a little bit about penalties that you could face if you owe money and you you fail to make those arrangements uh, before the deadline.
0: Correct. So there are two types of penalties and in interest. There's one penalty and in interest that apply if you file late. So this, this will be applicable to the amount that you owe if you file your taxes after May 1st. And then above that, there will also be penalties and in interest on the amount for, uh, for your late payment. And these interests, they do accumulate pretty fast, especially now because of the, um, the economic context that we've seen in the last year. Um, the interest rates are now way higher with CRA. Um, these interest rates change every quarter. So we don't know in advance what they will be for the coming quarters, but um, it is still very, very high interest, yeah.
1: Yannick Lemay is a tax expert at H&R Block. He's joining me today to talk about tax time and what we should all be doing to prepare for it. And even if you're feeling anxious about filing your taxes, uh, there are a lot of resources out there to help you at this time. I know you're a tax expert and not a financial advisor, but you must get asked this question. You know, I'm getting this refund. What should I do with it? Any advice on what uh, Canadians should do if they're getting a more, like you said, 10% more than they expected in a refund?
0: yes absolutely so um so every situation is different of course um some canadians will choose to put their refund in a rrsp so that way, next year when they're going to file their return, they're going to get a refund from this RSP contribution and use that refund again to put it back in an RRSP. So they will do this year after year. So that's one way to um, to help you with your savings for your retirement. But then that will only be if you if you are saving for more long uh, long term goals, because if you if you're planning to if you're not sure what you will use that money for the money of your refund you might as well just put it in a tfsa because the tfsa you won't pay any taxes on the income but also you won't pay any taxes on the withdrawal that you'll make from your tfsa as if you put the money in a rsp and in a year from now two years from now you decide to withdraw that money because now you need it for another project then you will pay taxes on the uh on the withdrawal which is what you want to avoid yet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We have just a minute left here, uh, Yannick. Uh, If someone is thinking, you know, I just want to be more tax efficient this year. I want to do the right thing when it comes to my money so that I'm in a better position uh, when I file my return for 2023. What's your advice? How can we just set ourselves up for success for filing our return next year?
0: Yes. So so the first thing I would suggest, um, if you go on our website, hrnblog.ca, there's a checklist there that will help you gather all the documents that you need. And it's not, you don't even have to come to an HRNBlog office or file your taxes with us. Just that using that checklist will help you think of all the credits, deductions you might be eligible to, and to make sure that you have all your documents, either for this year 2022 taxes, but also to prepare in advance for next year to make sure you have all your documents ready when the time comes.
1: Well, thank you so much, Yannick, for joining us today and getting us up to speed on what's happening uh, when it comes to tax time, what credits and benefits people may be eligible for, how to find that information. And of course, the the results of this survey showing seven in 10 Canadians are worried about just making ends meet. And this is people who have pretty good salaries. Uh, most of us have Money Matters top of mind right now. I really thank you for your time, Yannick.
0: All right. Thank you for having me.
1: That's Yannick LeMay. He's a tax expert at H&R Block. So the the deadline to file your tax return is May 1st. And you heard it from Yannick, if you owe money, you've got to get that tax return in on time and you have to make arrangements. If you can't make that CRA bill, you have to make arrangements to pay that over time. You're still going to pay some interest, but at least you will avoid the penalties that are associated with late returns. Uh, we are going to be talking all things taxes until the deadline, just to make sure you've got all the information you need. But right now, we're going to take a break. This is for what it's worth. I'm Rubina Ahmed huck
0: Baby, I know. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Robina on Ad
1: When it comes to financial literacy, one of the groups that I'm most concerned about is our young people. Are they getting the tools that they need to really be successful when it comes to their personal finances and managing their money when they reach adulthood? Because a lot of times, and this is true for every age group, I've come across people where they say, I never learned anything about money management when I was a young person, and I struggled in my 20s and my 30s, and I continue to struggle into my 40s and my 50s. And for others that don't have those skills, they rely on others to get them through how to pay the bills, how to save for retirement. And if that person isn't there for whatever reason, they really do struggle again to figure out how they're going to make their money work, how they're going to pay the bills, how they're going to make sure that they're saving enough for the future. Well, the Financial Consumer Agency just finished up an excellent competition that involved Canadian middle and high school students. Uh, It was a money management competition that really helped young people understand how to budget better, how to manage their money better, and it was a competition between schools to see who would do better. And this is an ongoing effort by the FCAC to really get young people more interested in their finances and set them up for success in the future. To talk about what the FCAC just did with this competition called Chatter High competition and also other programs that are available, we are joined by Rebecca Kong, PhD in Cognitive Development, Manager, Consumer Research and Experimentation at the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada. Welcome to the program, Rebecca.
2: Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so nice to have you. I mean, I
1: love talking about financial literacy in general, but especially for young people because it's so important to get those foundational lessons in so that the, there's only there's only good that can come out of it as as they build mm-hmm. on those on those lessons that they learn. Tell me more about the Chatter High competition. What that was all about?
2: Sure. So Um, Chatter High itself is an online platform that students can log into and participate in kind of an online scavenger hunt for information. So they're given questions and then they're given a link to a website that has a web page that has the information on that page and they need to kind of scan through it. And find the answer um, and submit that in their Chatter High portal. It's all gamified in a way so they g- gain points for identifying the right answer. Um, there are leaderboards, competitions between schools, prizes, things to try and make it really engaging for the students. And FCAC, uh, the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada, has two. Uh, money management modules that we're running right now, and there was this competition that was running between schools, so um, they could they could earn points, uh, and there are different different kinds of um, uh, levels of competition between the different schools, depending on how big the schools were and things like that. But the intention of it is to uh, increase financial knowledge and confidence among young people. What kind
1: of financial literacy will they gain uh, by participating in this competition by being a part of it?
2: Mm -hmm. So, um, well, one thing they can gain is a certificate. So they can uh, show that they completed the modules, but the types of knowledge that they'll be um, getting have to do with money management and budgeting and uh, skills that will be useful for students now and as they enter life after high school. So there's concepts about, Um, credit, debit, taxes, um, budgeting in general, different kinds of things like this that are relevant to students in their lives right now. It's also really valuable for them to be able to um, know that this information exists so that they can find um, authoritative, unbiased information that's provided by the Government of Canada, Part of FCAC's mandate is to provide uh, financial literacy information to Canadians and support um, the development of financial literacy. And a lot of Canadians don't know that this information is out there or where to find it. And it's important to provide um, Just-in-time information, so we're providing you know, this at a key decision point in a lot of students' lives as they're starting to manage their own finances, um, but also giving them the knowledge of where to go to find the information in the future when they encounter um, the different issues that they might be able to find the answers to or tools to help them navigate situations. That are on FCC's site. Very nice,
1: and and the the students that are participating or had participated, they're, they're middle a they middle school and high school students, so sort of that's thirteen right. years and up. Is is that is that fair to say the age group of where of of yeah, who would be grade, participating?
2: Grade six to twelve. So yeah, that's right in that kind of age range.
1: And how it. You know, a lot of times when I think back to when I was a young person, a teenager, my financial literacy was not very good, even though I grew up in a household where eventually I'm now a personal finance journalist. So I actually think compared to others, it was actually better. But even then, I didn't feel like there was enough conversations about money in my house. There wasn't enough real information being shared in school that I could put uh, to practice in my everyday life. When it comes to teenagers today, where would you say they rank when it comes to their financial literacy? Do you think they're better off now than than maybe 20, 30 years ago when we didn't pay as much attention to
2: to financial literacy in the schools? It's a bit of a tough question to answer. Um, I I think we have some hope (laughs) that it's stronger than it was. We don't have evidence. Uh, Canada has been participating in uh, measures, international measures of financial literacy of youth for uh, a few years, but it doesn't go back sort of 20 or or 30 years. So we've been participating in something called the Program for International Student Assessment. And there's a a financial literacy module in that. We participated in uh, 2015, 2018, and 2022. I think there is a (laughs) they changed the dates a few times because of the the pandemic, but um, Canadians fared Pretty Well, overall, in comparison to other countries, but that doesn't mean that we're at the level that we would like for students to be at. So we know that it takes practice and experience to make good financial decisions. And um, young people often haven't had the opportunity to do that. And we know in particular that girls financial confidence is especially low, um, not just in Canada, but in this study that was conducted by the OECD um, with 15-year-olds, this PISA program of International Student Assessment, Um, uh, girls' financial confidence was lower across the board in all 19 participating countries and economies, as they call it. And then these Girls end up growing into women that have lower um, confidence in dealing with money matters and, and even discussing money. So it's important for us to try to address this early, try to um, uh, develop good habits and knowledge from a younger age so that we don't have to try to try to change it later And as I said, although we are doing relatively well, there is this this um, uh, gap between between genders and also just overall, we're not necessarily at the level that we would like to see Canadian students at.
1: And this is Women's History Month, so that's a really important point to make of work that still needs to be done when it comes to women and their finances and young women, uh, arming them with all the the tools that they need to just be better at managing uh, not just their own personal finances, but also participating more in their family finances so that they are better set up for success. We're speaking to Rebecca Kong. She's a PhD in Cognitive Development, and she's with the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada, or FCAC as it's most commonly called. Uh, One of the questions I get asked all the time is, how can parents teach their children about money matters? How can they better the financial literacy of their kids? And when should that conversation start? So programs are great. Kids can get involved with them. Uh, But what about the day-to-day stuff? What about uh, the, the parents? How can they help their kids just be more financially literate?
2: Uh, well, at the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada, of course, we like to say that it's never too early to start uh, to start teaching about money. Um, attitudes about money start really early and biases that are instilled very young can, can cause some of those disparities that we see later on. Um, there's actually a study in the UK that looked at children ages 5 to 16, sorry, and um, found that... Uh, girls received twenty percent less pocket money than boys did and when they narrowed it down to the 11 to 16 year olds, the gap widened to thirty percent less and the parents were more likely to actually give the cash to the boys for them to uh, manage themselves and they would hold on to the money and manage the allowance for for the girls so, um, uh my guess is, like I said, that was a UK study. My guess is we would probably see similar things in Canada. And uh, it's important for us to be thinking about these things from a young age and making sure that we're teaching children of all genders about money and giving them those opportunities to practice. There are different concepts that are appropriate for different ages. So it doesn't have to be really complex things that we're um, you know, a- a- teaching children at younger ages. So when they're in preschool, um, it can be as simple as integrating it into pretend play. So they might be pretending that they're shopping or running a business, and you can help the child to understand simple things like money is used to buy things and that people work to earn money. There's a difference between what you need and what you want. Um, Then when they start getting into school age, there are some, you know, slightly more complex things, you can encourage them to save money to buy something that they want, like a toy or a game and introduce the concept of budgeting. So um, one way of doing that is using like the physical jars, some people have jars for spending one for spending one for saving and some families have one for giving. Um, this concept makes it really it, this makes the concept really tangible uh, for for young kids and helps them to kind of get that idea of you don't necessarily just spend all of the money that that you have. And as mm-hmm. they get older, you can encourage them to make a budget for something special, like maybe an activity or or a family event. You can get uh, teenagers involved in the family budget, help them understand the real world costs of things and understand um, and manage their expectations for what your family can afford when they start getting their own, um, uh, their own income through maybe a summer job or a part-time job, you can encourage them to save some of that income and maybe consider helping them to set up like an automatic transfer of some of their income into a savings account. Um, practices that are good throughout life, <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. uh, starting helping them to start off on the right foot
1: Rebecca, that is such a fresh perspective, uh, talking about how parents' behavior can really mold the way that uh, girls and boys feel about their money. And that factoid of, you know, girls having the money held back, saying, we'll manage it for you, and the boys Mm -hmm. being given the money, I think that is really important information because that helps me, as a mother... Uh, look inside and say, "Am I doing that?" And being a little bit more careful to make sure that I'm not unconsciously sending a, a message that uh, that 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 one person can manage money better than the other. I
2: really, right. really appreciate I'm that. I'm re- also a mother and have the same the same questions I ask myself on a on a regular basis. You know, what are my what messages am I sending unintentionally? Even
1: yes, of things that we have been taught in our childhood. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for joining us and for uh, for getting us up to date on what FCAC is doing when it comes to financial literacy for young people, for teenagers, and uh, these ongoing uh, competitions that uh, young people can get involved with. Great. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. That's Rebecca Kong. She's a PhD in Cognitive Development and Manager of Consumer Research and Experimentation at the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada. When we come back, I'm going to give you some key takeaways from today's show and things that you should know when it comes to tax time, things that you should be doing right now because the deadline is only about six weeks away. I'm Rubina Ahmed-Hawk, and this is For What It's Worth.
0: From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed-Hawk.
1: That brings us to the end of our program. Thank you so much for everyone who listened for the last hour. We got some great information, great takeaways there that we can put to use as soon as this show is over, especially when it comes to tax time. That was a really interesting conversation with the H&R Block uh, tax expert, uh, talking about how Canadians, 70% of us, are feeling stressed about our finances as we head into tax time, even if we have... That they call a quote unquote decent salary. So, those people making a regular salary, not worried about losing their job, are still stressing about their day to day expenses. And they're also stressing about the possibility of having to ha- pay a tax bill to the CRA and where that money is going to come from. Uh, most of us are worried about paying down debt, according to their survey. Uh, most of us are putting less money away. For the future, so less money, 65% of us are putting less money in our TFSA, in our RRSP, and 85% of those that they survey say this tax season is even more important than others to minimize the taxes they owe. And maximize their return. So that conversation really did put us on the track where we can maximize that return. Uh, if we work with a tax specialist, if we work on our own, accessing the CRA website, there is a ton of information on the CRA website, especially when you log on to your My Account. It's going to give you specific information for you that's going to help you get the most tax refund back this year as possible. There's six weeks to go, a lot of time still to work on it. Next week is when I'm going to be working on my tax return. So next week at this time, I'll tell you how far I've gotten, but uh, this is the time I think really where we need to hunker down and get it done. Also speaking to Rebecca Kong, who's uh, with the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada about financial literacy among young people and a competition that they just held where schools competed against each other. The competition was called Chatter High. Schools competed Competed against each other to see who could budget better, manage their money better. And that really kicked off uh, an interest uh, for other programs the SCAC has uh, when it comes to financial literacy for young people and the importance it is that how important it is for young people to be tuned into um, how to manage money so that when they get to adulthood when they get to university, they get to their first full-time job, they already have those tools available to them. They don't have to learn them for the first time because programs like this have really set them up for success. And the one bit that I found so interesting in that conversation uh, with the FCAC was how studies show that parents will give their male children, their boys, more money when it comes to allowance and other compensation than their girls, be that because they feel that their girls can't manage that money or that their boys can manage it better, or maybe they're compensated more for things like grades and work around the house. But more money is funneled into their boys than into their girls. And that really helps me reflect on how am I managing my money when it comes to how much I give my children for a tooth they lose or their birthday, or if they're allowed to spend on whatever it is that they want to buy. My kids both have bank accounts. I've given them autonomy over it. I, I control how much comes out of it. So maybe not complete autonomy, but, uh, they, uh, they are allowed to buy whatever they want within reason. So, uh, I now really want to check myself to make sure that I am taking seriously. My daughter's requests as compared to my son's request. So that's something I'm going to keep top of mind because that survey shows that some parents aren't. Some parents are definitely giving more money and more leeway to their boys compared to their girls. And what message does that send to uh, our children uh, for for, for the future? Before I go, before we go, Flair Airlines, big story this week, um, had four Jets confiscated uh, by their creditors because they didn't pay their bills. Now, at first they said, you know, we were only a couple of days late, but now it's come out that they were actually late consistently five months in a row and the creditors got sick and tired of that and they, they confiscated these jets and said, you know, you're not paying your bills on time. Um, airline jets are a hot commodity right now more people are traveling and airline companies need to lease these jets they skate they will spend in peak season up to four hundred thousand dollars to lease a jet from these companies and so these are big money makers so th- these creditors are not going to or these companies that lease planes are not going to put up with late payments because they know they can make money on that plane somewhere else Now, for anybody that was affected by Flair Airlines jets being taken off of the schedule, four jets taken off, 1,900 customers were affected. 420 of them, according to reports, were rebooked on other flights. But it doesn't matter whether you were rebooked or not. The uh, Passenger Bill of Rights does give you the right to, to ask for compensation. It can be anywhere from 125 to $400 depending on your situation. So definitely, even if you were rebooked, even if you canceled and got a refund on the ticket that you paid for, you may still be owed compensation from Flair Airlines. Now, it may take a little work to get that, but know that you have a right to ask for it. And that's something that um, anyone who was booked on that airline, Flair Airlines, and had their ticket canceled or changed or were rebooked or delayed... They have some rights, so go to the Passenger Bill of Rights in Canada, figure out um, what you may be owed, and definitely be speaking to Flair Airlines and their representatives about uh, that money that you could be getting back, even if you did end up getting on plane and getting to your destination. If you were delayed, you may still be owed some cash. That brings us to the end of our show. Thank you to Bilal Mazri, our technical producer. Uh, Thank you to you for listening today. I hope you have a great rest of the week. Try to save some money, be like me and start planning for your tax returns. Start at least just do the planning. Just start putting some things together because May 1st is going to arrive faster than you know it, and it's really stressful when you try to do it all at the end of April, If especially if you're getting a refund. Why not get that refund early and use the money for what you want to spend it on, not have it in the coffers of the CRA? I'm Rubina Ahmad and this is For What It's Worth.